Candyman, Candyman, wherefore art thou Candyman? <laughs> First off, before I get into what I suspected, as well as what I believe a lot of people suspected from this film, was that I thought it was a reboot. I'm going to tell you right now, and I'm going to spoil things, even though this movie just came out, but I'm going to tell you right now, it's not a reboot. It's a direct sequel from the 1992 film, the very first Candyman. It totally ignores uh, the second and third Candyman, which I don't remember what they were called. I think one's called like Day of the Dead and the other one's called like Forbidden Fruit or something. Uh, it totally ignores those two films. Kind of like what that new Halloween film that came out two years ago did, where it ignores everything from like Halloween 3 and on. It's a direct sequel to Halloween's 1 and 2, pretty much takes taking place 40 years after that night, and ignoring, you know, uh, the return of Michael Myers and Halloween H2O, it ignores all that. So that's essentially what this Candyman does. And I just gotta say right off the bat, Nia DaCosta, good for you. Oh my goodness, you did a tremendous job with this film. Especially, I'm, and I'm giving her praise because this is her second feature film. The first one is kind of one that I don't think many people even knew about because I think it was like a Tribeca Film Festival winner. And I think it was enough to kind of get her in the same room with Jordan Peele, who helped co-write this new version of The Candyman. And that first film was called Little Woods, but that's it. All she has is that one film from a couple of years ago, and then this film. And now she's also on board to do The Marvels, which is the sequel to Captain Marvel, starring Captain Marvel, Miss Marvel, and I think another uh, character in the Marvel's realm in some way, shape, or form. But it's meant to be the sequel to Captain Marvel. So she's got that in the bag already. So you're telling me that you're going to go from Candyman to an MCU film... Good for you, girl, and by all means, I hope you can continue to make a name for yourself because this film is tremendous, and now knowing that you only have three on your roster right now, one that's not out yet and one that's a year or so old, I'm going to look for Little, Little Woods, and I'm going to watch that film for you because this film is tremendous, and you did a great job at it. So now, done praising Nia DaCosta. Let's talk about the film Candyman. Now... I'm somewhat involved in the horror community that, you know, revolves around the country. You know, me, me and my wife, we have our connection to that, to that world. And we're kind of known by a few people that, you know, they run around, they do conventions. And, you know, we're kind of more uh, West Coast in a way. You know, we haven't really gone towards the East. But being that we're involved with that universe, you hear a lot of people's opinions and a lot of people's stories and their connections with films and whatnot. So I do know there's a lot of people that aren't really praising this film. I do know that it's getting kind of mixed reviews from the community, even though it's getting positive views from critics. However, being that I am a person who is involved in that community, I am a person who is going to be maybe the odd man out and say that I'm going to praise this film because I think it it did a fantastic job. I think that it was unsettling. I think that it was, you know, scary and as scary as it can possibly get. I think the character development was very well done. And, you know, let's just do it. Let's just think of a, let's go back a little bit. Let's think about what Candyman is. So 
Candyman is the story that derived from a short story written by Clive Barker. For those who don't know who Clive Barker is, he is a, a an American English uh, author, um, writer, and he's written a couple dozen books. You know, he's got he's probably right after maybe Stephen King, like within like the top three or the top five most authors who have had their their books and stories adapted to film. So let's go off of what Clive Barker has had made into film. The Hellraiser series is basically all him. He wrote the Hellraiser series, and I think he named it something different, but it went on to go to be um, what he called it to being called Hellraiser. He wrote basically the TV series that also became movie Tales from the Dark Side. That was a short story of his as well. Uh, he had movies written um, about stories of his, one, one being The Book of Blood, one being Lord of Illusions. These are all films that I've seen because I'm a big Clive Barker fan. So he's he's got, like, the stones to write these stories, and he writes very, very good stories, and the majority of them have been turned to film. You know, I can keep going down the list. You got Rawhead Rex, you got Midnight Meat Train, you got Quicksilver Quick Highway... I don't know why that word was so hard for me to get out, but yes, that's an old 70s horror film, or maybe even 80s. And Candyman. He essentially wrote the story of Candyman. He called it The Forbidden, and it, that was later adapted into the film called Candyman, but it essentially was still an ur like an urban legend that he created in the universe of his book. So it being an urban legend in the book and what the story was meant to be about and that being a fantastic story, he then went on and put that into film fashion and they called it Candyman. Now, I don't know if he had much to do with the sequels that came after that. Just like, I don't believe he had too much to do with the sequels of the Hellraiser series and whatnot. But, you know, I would say he probably did. And this is... Not the first time any of his work has been adapted into film, and it's definitely not going to be the last. So, it derives from his original story. So now, let's talk about that first film. So, the first film follows the character um, Helen Lyle, who I believe is played by Virginia Madsen. And what they do is, they, like, the Virginia Madsen, oh, I'm sorry, the Heather Lyle story in this new film refers to that whole first movie. And that's why you kind of get the idea, it's like, okay, you know, they're only going based off of that first film and they're ignoring the other two. So it's a direct sequel. And they talk about what happened to her as if it was sort of a urban legend of itself. Like, her story is the urban legend, as well as Candyman being the urban legend of that universe. So, for those who don't 100% remember the first film, how the first film goes is she's writing, like, a college report on, like, graffiti or something. So, she goes to, you know, the, the ghetto part of Chicago, where they have this urban legend. It's called Candyman, and she starts seeing him in the graffiti everywhere, and she gets obsessed over it, and discovers that he is real... And, you know, he steals a baby and he wants to sacrifice the baby. She goes to save the baby and dies in the process. So that story 
is essentially what the what they talk about when they say urban legend in this film. You know, not only do they like think of what Candyman is, but that's kind of been surpassed with Helen Lyle's urban legend. And it's also been misconstrued over the years because this this story happens in like 1990 and whatnot. So this is 30 years later. So it's been changed over the course of many generations. And now it's talked about as, oh, Helen Lyle stole the baby. And when she went to go like murder him in this huge bonfire celebration, she they wound up, you know, taking the baby from her and then tossing her in the fire. And they find out later that that's not true. And even those people that are really diehard fans of the first Candyman know that's not true because they know how that movie progressed and how that movie ends. But besides that point, this is now, like, you know, many years later, and they're talking about that story, you know, still. So it exists in the same world. So they they have this, this artist, and the artist is played by uh, the main actor. I'm probably going to butcher the guy's name. Um, Yaya Abdul-Mateen II. So he is the 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 striving uh visual art um uh artist and when he hears about this he's like i need to get inspiration because i need to do new things for the new art gallery that's coming so he goes to cabrini green which is the projects in this area where the first film is set but now nobody lives there it's partially condemned so nobody really cares to go there he goes in there, and he gets bit by a bee, of course, because for some reason, Candyman has something to do with bees. I don't know if they've ever explained that, but if they did, I still don't 100% get the reference. So, he gets bit on the same hand where, you know, he's meant to get the hook. And, you know, the whole joke is, is that, well, not the joke, but the whole premise is that he's eventually going to be, his hand is going to be crippled to the point where maybe it looks like a hook. And you kind of see it when he wraps it or when he puts bandages on it. You can kind of see that certain fingers are down and up in a way where it looks like he's walking with a hook. So when he does the ritual where he says Candyman in the mirror five times, he doesn't get murdered. He starts getting followed. And he gets followed around, and it just so happens that most of the time when he's around people, those people wind up dying. So you're led to believe that this could be a sort of, maybe Candyman doesn't exist, or maybe it's like an hallucinogenic thing, and maybe like the bee sting is kind of making him go crazy and kind of get engulfed in Candyman and kind of feel that he is in some way, shape, or form, becoming a real Candyman. And maybe Candyman doesn't essentially exist in the universe. And it's just, you know, camera play that makes us assume that these people are getting murdered by the spirit of Candyman, where essentially they're actually getting murdered by this dude. So that's what I assumed it was going to go down. But then they do a couple of scenes where, yeah, people say Candyman in the mirror that have nothing to do with the dude, and they wind up dying too. So... You get the sense that, yes, Candyman is real in this universe, and he's he is of a supernatural nature, and it's not this guy. So once you finally come to that conclusion, you're like, okay, so 
how is it going to end? Is it going to end with the in in somewhat the same fashion as the first one or is it going to have its own ending? So how does it end? Well, I really battled with talking about this because I didn't want to ruin it for people being that it's so new, but I feel like I have to because I do understand that maybe some people's negative perspectives on this film derive from the ending. So how does it end? So I'm going to spoil it, and I'm going to tell you that during the film, you you see this other character. Now, when they have flashbacks of when the Candyman was caught, the Candyman was caught because, you know, a little kid kind of signaled the cops without realizing it, and then he was, like, in the hallway outside of the room that Candyman was basically beaten and murdered. So he kind of, like, blamed himself in a way. And now he comes back as this laundromat owner who the artist, um, what's the character's name? I believe it's McAvoy or McCoy, Anthony, Anthony McCoy, maybe. And he comes back to like talk to him and get information from him because, you know, as far as McCoy knows, he, he doesn't know anything about Candyman, but this guy does and he knows Caprini Green and he was raised there. And then you learn that he's the same kid. He's just, you know, 50 years old now. So as he's helping, you know, McCoy learn about, you know, his, his, um, about Caprini Green, he starts to learn more about his past as well. Discovery number one. What's discovery number one, you ask? You learn that Anthony McCoy is the baby that was supposed to be sacrificed in the first film. The baby that Candyman stole and tried to bring into the the fire pit where he and Helen Lyle would be sacrificed together and Helen Lyle saved him. He's that baby, all grown up. And that's why it's all coming back to him. And that's why when he first does the ritual, Candyman's like, oh, you have returned. So then he slowly tries to, like, break down his psyche so he can essentially turn him into Candyman, so to speak. But now there's one big story arc that I don't understand. And even after my wife tried to explain it to me, because in some way, shape or form, she gets it. I don't get it. So... Take that laundromat owner. What he does is he now kidnaps McCoy. He kidnaps McCoy's girlfriend, who's very involved in the story throughout the whole thing. She owns, like, the art gallery that he gets deals at, and she sees him kind of breaking down and all the psychological toll that it's taking on him, working into this Candyman stuff. So she's by his side for for the most part. This laundromat guy kidnaps both of them. Ties her up in in an abandoned church that's on Cabrini Green grounds and then drugs up Anthony McCoy and chops his hand off and puts the hook in the hand. And now I'm thinking, okay, is the arc supposed to be that this guy is setting him up to be the Candyman and he just so happened to be the same kid that was the baby? Like, why is it that this guy is doing that to, you know, this artist dude. Even if he knew who he was, does he believe in Candyman that much? Is he just known for sacrificing people to Candyman? Especially in the notion that he basically is making them become Candyman? Well, I don't know. I don't have those answers. They don't really explain much. 
she gets free, murders him, and then that's it. Like, his story arc is just so weird to me that I feel like, why was he involved? Was he just involved to mutilate this dude's hand who, that was bitten by a bee? and slightly, Like, how does he know that he has that direct connection where this bee sting is now growing into, like, this skin defect all over the right side of his body? Like, there are so many unanswered questions in, in that little piece that I, maybe it's just I've only seen it once. So maybe it's something that I didn't catch. Maybe some other people have caught it. But I really didn't understand his story arc or that ending that he was involved in. So now, that's not the only part of the ending. There's also a little twist. So what's the little twist? So you have the guy, Anthony McCoy, who is now basically mutilated. And he looks like Candyman. So there have been a bunch of murders in town that have been related to the Candyman murders. And there she is, kind of holding him, and the cops are showing up. And she's like, we're going to get you help, we're going to get you help. And a cop walks in, and without a word, shoots him like five times. And boom, Anthony's dead. So you're like, holy shit, they just shot him. Jesus. Alright, so then they arrest her. Like, holy shit. They put her in the back seat, and of course, what do you notice? There's three cop cars, they're all white dudes, and the detective gets into the front seat of the car that she's strapped behind, and they give her two ultimatums. They say, okay, here's what happened. He came at my officer, and then he had to do what he had to do, right? That's the story we're going to tell, right? If not, then we're going to say that you guys were together, and then you're going to go to prison for the same murders. And you'll be in prison for a long time. So it's basically them being corrupt police. Now, I understand the social commentary that that's kind of meant to predict. And there's a lot of social commentary throughout the film. You know, kind of like the idea of gentrification. And, you know, you get, you know, the, the, the concept of, uh, you know, black people being forced to live in ghettos. And, you know, when the white people move in, you know, they change everything. But they kick, you know, the black people out. There's huge social commentary throughout the whole film. I was basically okay with everything. And I fully understood where every perspective that it was coming from where it was involved because it made sense everywhere it literally did every time it came up in any sort of dialogue or conversation between characters it made a lot of sense and i had no problems with it but i feel like it was almost unnecessary to just throw that in there at that very end because i don't see the points in that being a major story moment especially with the fact that when she realizes like oh shit i'm in deep shit she's like can i see my reflection in the review mirror and so he turns it and she says candy man and then out pops anthony mcavoy as a possessed devil and he murders all the cops and the one he you know the very last one he's kind of like you know who are you why are you doing this and he's like you know i am the the the, the voice of uh, the innocent and you know you are not innocent and you will punish for your 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 devilish duels and i'm like so did they just make handyman an anti-hero that doesn't make any sense 20 minutes ago in the same movie he murdered a couple of 12 year olds because they said Candyman in the mirror three times he murdered a bunch of high school chicks earlier on in the film because they said Candyman. So what do you mean you only murder the innocent? 
And the fact that you just murdered a bunch of cops because they weren't innocent is like, that's meant to be the reason why you did that. Like, no, you you murder whoever the fuck you want. That's the whole premise of Candyman. If you're trying to say that you're now going to take this arc where he's the anti-hero, then you devalue what Candyman is. He's a, he's a fucking urban legend. It's like saying Bloody Mary. Instead, you're saying Candyman, and he's creepy. He's got this hook. He, he You can always see bees when he's around. Like, he's a very, like, very diabolic figure. And why would you make it this new or this twist of a story where it's like, yeah, now I'm murdering you because you're not innocent because you are corrupt and you should be punished? It's then why were you punishing 12-year-olds, like, not even 15 minutes ago in the same film? And I just feel like that was something that was a misconnection. It was, it was a misstep on their choice in the film. However, it does save itself within the very last 30 seconds. The figure that is floating around as um, Candyman goes and approaches uh, the girlfriend again. And the bees that are all over his head, they kind of start to deplete and you see the person's face. And of course, it's not the um, it's not the Anthony McAvoy character. It's not the actor who they had playing the essential candy man throughout the whole movie. No, thank the heavens. It's Tony Todd. And he's got one line. And that one line, as he looks at her, he looks at the wife and he says, tell everyone. And if that's not the best cameo that he could have possibly had, I don't know what is. Being that, for for those who don't know, Tony Todd played Candyman in the first three films. Being that he shows up in this film, it's just great. And that's definitely a great way to end it. On that, just note. There's no other parts of the story that you have to go into. Just bam, here's your Tony Todd credits. So, maybe the ending could be a little different. I do know that some people were expecting that this was going to be a reboot. I am happy they went with the direct sequel line instead. And I feel like, why not? Like, why can't more... More, more storytellers and scriptwriters and directors take that same approach... Like the Halloween film that we got two years ago that's leading into this new Halloween film, Halloween Kills, in October, that's essentially saying, forget the timeline and the cheesy sequels that we made. Here were two good films. Here's the th- here's what's meant to be the third film, ignoring all the other things and only following after those two films. Why can't we have more of that? I feel like this Candyman is a a prime example that something like that can work and Halloween is another great example. So why don't we do more of that? Why don't we do another, you know, Friday the 13th that's a direct sequel from say the second one or the third one or ignoring something else in some shape or form? Why don't we do a direct uh, Nightmare on Elm Street or a direct like any of these other stories where they would be direct sequels from a certain point in that story and not and ignoring any of the stuff that came after that might have ruined it. A great example I have is probably The Howling. The Howling was one of my favorite werewolf movies of like the late 70s, early 80s. However, it's got five sequels. 
they are garbage. Nothing compares to the first Howling. The first Howling is a masterpiece, and everything after that is just them making dumb werewolf movies and putting the Howling as the label to kind of mesh it all together. They all suck, and the first Howling is probably the best one out of all of them. I can't really think of any of the other any of the other ones after like the fourth one off the top of my head, but I do know there's at least six of them, I believe, and they they are all nothing in comparison to that first one. So why did why don't why doesn't somebody come out and create a direct sequel from that first one and give us a Howling for this generation? with all of the new, you know, technology that you have to make it even better. Because that's the thing, the Howling was a tremendous step forward when it came to, you know, puppeteering and animatronics and transformations in and of itself. So why not do that now? You know, I believe that Candyman, if it does anything, it acts as this pedestal to now live up to. Because I feel like that was set by the new Halloween film. And maybe Halloween Kills is going to keep it in that fashion, because now you have two direct sequels. I'm not saying give me another Candyman. I'm saying go back, pick a point in some of these franchises where the stories turn to shit and give us a better story that would probably make more sense of being direct uh, of being a direct sequel. That that's what I feel should be the case. And again, this is a great film that gives that example. And Halloween is another one. And we're getting more Halloween. And I want more of something else. I want them to take this chance with anything. And Nia DaCosta, if you do it even better. I'm fully on board with Nia DaCosta doing something else in this area. Because right now, she is like, she has so many. Uh, um, what am I trying to say? It's like she's living up to so many expectations that was set forth by what you expected out of this film that she blew it, all the expectations out of the water. And I have so much faith in her with the Marvels film, and I can't wait to see even more of what she has to bring to the table. And I'm going to find Little Woods, and I'm going to watch that movie too. And you'll probably see an entry on it pretty soon. Um, but yeah... Great job on this film. Again, ending could have been a little bit better. And hopefully we see more people taking these chances and not doing reboots, but just doing more direct right after certain event sequels. And I think that's the route they should go. I, I feel like th this is a great opportunity for them to create those chances and create uh, extensions of these new stories. And if they take those chances, then we'll probably get really good movies moving forward that we should have gotten back then but then we instead we got seven other films and all these other random franchises that turned into what they turned into because they were just thinking about making films they weren't thinking about making you know good films it was all just about money and that's what it's about now too but hopefully this kind of shows them yes people care about story too and I, maybe that's a reason why some people don't like this because maybe they were expecting a reboot and got a sequel and maybe it doesn't live up to what they were expecting. But it did for me, you know, except for my few gripes with the ending and one little character in the story, it was all good from, from you know, everything else that the film gave me. I was really happy going through this whole film and I feel like, you know, a lot of people should and a lot of people should take it for what it is and, you know, if their gripes are the same as mine, and that's why they choose to say, oh, it's not worth it, then I feel like that's wrong because I still feel it's worth it, even with the things that I find wrong in it. You know what I mean? Like, that's that's just my perspective. I feel like it's still a movie worthwhile, even though there are things that 
I would have done differently or that I wish they didn't do or certain uh, certain story arcs that didn't make sense. It's still worth sitting through and it's still a way better sequel than probably what we got in those other two. I don't even remember the other two Candyman sequels. I don't think I ever cared to watch them. Um, probably because they didn't have anything to do with Clive Barker, but I don't know directly. I just know that he originated it. His story was fantastic. The first Candyman is fantastic, and this just, it follows suit. It lives up to it. In my eyes. In my eyes, at least. 